0: Patient safety and high reliability continue to be elusive goals in healthcare. Creating a culture of safety that will allow us to achieve these goals requires a number of important elements. In this series, we'll address what we believe are the essential ingredients in developing such a culture – mutual respect, teamwork and collaboration, human factors engineering, and just culture. I'm David Feldman, MD, Chief Medical Officer for The Doctors' Company and Healthcare Risk Advisors, part of TDC Group. On today's episode, we're delighted to welcome Michael Broadman, Professor and Chair Emeritus in the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Science at the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. He also serves as a Senior Vice President for Safety for the Mount Sinai Health System. Today Mike will discuss how mutual respect is a prerequisite for any institution developing a culture of safety. The increasing complexity of medical care in nearly every aspect of care delivery makes optimal teamwork and communication essential. And this is only possible if every member of the team feels respected and is free to speak up when they think something is wrong. This is the Leading Voices in Healthcare podcast. So let's begin. Mike, what got you interested in the issue of respect in healthcare?
1: Well, many years ago when I was a junior attending, there was an incident on the labor floor where one of the nurses gave a narcotic and it was kind of confusing as to whether the doctor ordered it or not. And the long story short is she was suspended and he was told not to do it again. And it really struck me then as being really unfair and horrible. And then fast forward when I became the chair back in 2003, I believe, Mark Chasson, who's now the president of the Joint Commission, was actually the chair of health policy at Mount Sinai. And we did a survey on the labor floor. And this was shocking. Seventy-five percent of the nurses said that if they saw a doctor doing something wrong, they wouldn't say something if they knew they were doing something wrong. I mean, that was shocking. And, you know, the take-home message there is they were afraid that somebody would yell at them or they'd get fired. So they kept their mouth shut and did their jobs.
0: Unbelievable. That's inspiring to, to hear that. It, I guess really got you going on this whole topic, huh?
1: Well, yeah, and then once you hear that, then you realize where a lot of the root cause of adverse outcomes come from. Just lack of communication and teamwork. And again, back to the topic at hand, it's respecting everybody on the team.
0: Mike, why do you think respect is so important in the goal of developing a culture of safety? Why is such a critical ingredient that you really have to start with? What do you think?
1: I actually think it's pretty simple. I mean, to have a high-reliability organization or team, you need teamwork. Everybody has to be able to communicate openly. We see that in the military. We see that on aircraft carriers. I mean, when I was a little kid and I was playing sports, I realized the teams that got along and everybody felt like they had the same mission and they were on the team together did better than the teams where everybody was a solo player. Same thing in healthcare. If you don't communicate well, part of that is if you don't respect the nurse that's working with you, you're not going to tell her what you're thinking and you're not going to care what she's thinking either so i think respect is key
0: powerful message i had my own experience in a hospital i used to work at where there was an anesthesiologist he was a great anesthesiologist but he just didn't get along with people it was not respectful and nurses used to tell me they were afraid to talk to him they just were afraid to talk to him and so if we think about no human physician or nurse or other provider can ever get to 100 percent to get to that 10 if you will in in getting everything right so if you get it right, seven or eight out of 10, but you have a team behind you that's willing to tell you, hey, you know, this is how you can modify this. You can get from your seven or eight to 10. You start with somebody who's a nine that's really good, but nobody wants to talk to them. They're stuck at a nine. They're never going to get to that 10. So having that team behind you that's willing to say something so they really work together and get the benefits of that teamwork it's just so powerful, you know? Agreed. So Mike, tell me a little bit about how have healthcare institutions and their providers dealt with this problem? Can you give us an example of something you've done to try and get to this? We've got a problem here. How do you fix it? What have you done to improve this, to get this thing going?
1: So, I mean, the goal of a healthcare system is to have good outcomes, good quality, have a safe environment, and also have a place where the employees enjoy coming to work. And I realized very early on, and I didn't do the work, I read about it, that if you have poor communication, and again, respect is part of that, then you're gonna have more adverse outcomes. And so when I became chair, I decided that we had to fix the safety question at Sinai. And the foundation of all this was getting everybody on the labor floor to work together, to enjoy working together, and have the same mission and goal of having great outcomes. So getting everybody to respect each other and work together and appreciate what each person does for the team was the basic step. And I think healthcare organizations now are realizing that safety and quality go hand in hand with communication and mutual respect. And you can't right. get one without the other.
0: And did you develop a program as the chair in your department to try and help address this?
1: Yeah, so in 2000 three or four, I created what we call the code of professionalism. And basically what it was is an anonymous or not reporting system where anybody on the labor floor could report somebody else for bad behavior. And we formed a committee, I was on it, the chief nursing officer for OBGYN was on it. At that time we had the director of the NICU on it and we had our safety nurse. And the four of us would review these reports and decide how to take action. Sometimes it was a doctor would meet with me and I'd say, Bob, that was very unprofessional. And we'd have a little conversation and sometimes we'd escalate. And certain physicians were having issues in their lives and I sent them on to receive professional help. But we started that in 2003 or four, I believe. And again, the uniqueness is anybody could report anybody so a doctor could report a transporter a transporter could report a doctor and whatever the incident was we investigated and made sure that whoever was acting inappropriately we got them help
0: so this has been in place for i mean it's still in place now i'm assuming yes yeah 15 years right more so have you gotten feedback from your staff from people about Did it change the culture? Did it give people the opportunity to do all the things we've talked about? What do you think? What kind of feedback have you gotten about
1: it? So, yes, we did repeat some of the surveys. And that survey that I spoke of earlier, where 75% of the nurses said they wouldn't say something, went down to about 10 or 15% about five or six years later. And basically, the point was the nurses felt comfortable working on the floor. They knew that I had their backs that it was not a two-tiered culture where the doctors can do what they want and the nurses can. I created a just level playing field and morale went up and not surprisingly adverse outcomes went down. We instituted a few other things, but the basis of this was just getting everybody to work together on the team.
0: So, Mike, what do you think is a best practice? You know, people like to use that term as sort of the gold standard in healthcare. What's the best practice in healthcare for doing this thing, for establishing a culture of mutual respect?
1: So it's a great question. And I think it really starts at the C suite, the leadership of the hospital. The hospital leadership has to be committed to creating a just culture. And that means nobody gets a pass. That means the physician who makes the most money for the hospital or a dean or a department chair does not get a pass. And if they're a part of the problem, they have to be helped. The process should be helping people. It should not be punitive. And if you see somebody, and I'll give an example, it's kind of a crazy example, but it makes the point. So if I'm in the parking garage in the morning and I can't find my car, and I start yelling at the parking attendant, and then at lunchtime, I'm in the cafeteria, and I'm on the cash-only line, and I don't have any cash, and I yell at the cashier. And somebody recognizes that behavior. I don't think you have to have a stretch of the imagination to realize that very soon or already, I will make a medical error. There's clearly something going on in my life that's distracting me from my work. And I couldn't find my car, and I got on the wrong line, and then I got testy about it. So you have to find those people at that stage and help them because who knows what was going on in my life that distracted me. And so you have to do three things. You have to identify the people. You have to help them. And then back to the beginning of this, which was what I started with, if somebody is just really a bad player, just a cancerous individual in your organization, and you can't help them, and they refuse to be helped, and they just are toxic then again, the C-suite has to be able, no matter who that person is, to say, this person is hurting our organization. We have to let them go.
0: So we talked about you know, best practices. What are you doing? Now you're working in your system role in safety as vice president for safety at Sinai. What are you doing now to get your institution to this practice? Tell me a little bit about what's going on.
1: Sure. So as part of the work we were doing to try to reduce malpractice, we came across this program at Vanderbilt that they'd published some papers saying that they put this program in place and it lowered adverse outcomes and malpractice. And we went to Nashville and we visited their site. And interestingly, the program was not put in place to lower malpractice. It was put in place, I don't know how long ago, 25, 30 years ago, to improve their culture. And as a result of this program, they not only improved their culture, but a very nice byproduct was they improved outcomes. And we've adopted that program into our system. And it's basically similar to the program I put in place on the label floor at Sinai. It's a reporting system. Theirs is much more sophisticated. And basically, the program is such that you can report unprofessional behavior. And if you get reported, we hear about it. And we assign a messenger. And we have trained messengers who have what we call a cup of coffee. And they sit down and they say... Listen, you were reported for bad behavior. We don't know whether it happened or not. We don't investigate. But be mindful of how you interact with everybody. And in the institutions where this program is already running and there's a lot of data, they have very good data to support the fact that this very simple program works. Self-awareness for physicians is a very powerful tool. People say, oh, I guess I've been acting like a jerk. I better watch my behavior. So that's what we're doing now in our system we started it about almost a year ago
0: that's great just great and i understand they have millions and millions of reports like this so because you always hear physicians say well you know i'm a urologist it doesn't really apply in my specialty and actually it does I think um, you and I have both seen this data. It really goes across all specialties. These kinds of patterns of doctors behaving badly, if you will, is not unique to one specialty, although people often think it's just the surgeons that are nasty. And we may be, we have a higher level of this than others, but it does go across specialties. And in the malpractice world, we know that this group shows, as you said, 20 years ago, that there's a direct correlation between the number of these reported events that the individual doctor has in their malpractice profile. So uh, it's great to know that along the way, it's improving that culture, even more important, improving outcomes, and then ultimately reducing malpractice. Excellent, excellent. So Mike, tell me, what suggestions would you have for our listeners, for those who are just trying to get started on this culture of safety journey? Obviously not so easy. Any suggestions you have for our listeners on this?
1: A couple of things. First and foremost, leadership of the hospital has to be 100% behind this because there are so many obstacles and roadblocks and bad cultures that unless senior leadership is behind you, you're going to fail. Once they agree that we have to fix this, there are different ways to do this. And we chose this one path. It was just at a conference where they were discussing what's called peer review. So the other way to do this is to just put a very elaborate system in place where you can track physicians and then be able to collect the data and then act on the data. If I do 10 operations and I don't dictate my operative reports, that's indicative of something. And somebody has to see that and say, you know, why haven't you dictated your reports? Let's talk about it. And again, it shouldn't be punitive. We all went into medicine to do good and and help people. So when we don't do that, it's not because we're bad people. It's probably something going on in our lives. And so... Step number one is get leadership involved and supportive. Step number two is to put some program in place where you can track behavior. And then the third piece is you have to really get everybody to respect everybody else on the team, have a shared vision, a shared mission, and work together. The other way we did this is we instituted SBAR, a way of communicating with each other and a few other things. But you have to put programs in place like simulation where people work together in simulated settings. Again, it builds teamwork and camaraderie. You have to have a good communication system. So we use SBAR, but there are other ones. You have to have a, a way of tracking all of this. And then you have to have corrective action, the ability to do corrective action in a positive way, not a punitive way. Right. And those are the it, steps.
0: It's interesting because you know, our listeners may have said, well, why are you so focused on physicians? And the answer is because to be honest at least in a hospital setting right most of these other folks nurses and allied health professionals therapists and so forth they're employees and they already have this it's part of their corrective action plan right but doctors even employed doctors for some reason they just fall out of that system so it's just holding doctors accountable in the same way we hold everybody else accountable for their behavior and frankly everything else it's leveling the playing field so that we're all on the same mission well Thank you so much, Mike, for joining us today. Really appreciate your comments and your thoughts and um, really anxious to see how your journey continues. Thank you so much for joining us today and thank you all for listening to our Leading Voices in Healthcare podcast. Visit our website at thetdcgroup.com to learn more about the services we provide to healthcare professionals.